Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's of kid treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, dude. The 90s called. With Christine Taylor and David Lasher. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Hey, Dude, the 90s called podcast. I'm David. Hi, David. I am Christine. What's up, Christine? How are you? Christine Taylor. <laughs> Christine Taylor. Christine um, Joan Taylor. Christine Joan Taylor Stiller. <laughs> um, a lot of names. Yes, we so we this this podcast will be airing like two weeks after Thanksgiving or something like that. But I really what's on my mind today is the Black Friday Cyber Monday of it all. Now, are you involved in any of it? Do you get into online shopping? Do you get into the sales or any of it? I am like a sniper. You know, I get my AG jeans. I got okay. You um, know what you're looking for. I got a couple of two. I got maybe three things that I really needed. But my, I see the charges from my wife and my daughters, and they're just like, well, oh, no. Okay, yes, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. When you say it's a racket, back in our early years, that Black Friday thing was like people got up early. They went to the mall. They waited in line. I I think I only did it once with, with there were like, like riots uh, outside of high Walmart. school girlfriends. Like I remember once we did it and I was like, never again. That was like the it was a mob scene. But people took it very seriously because it really was only one day of the year. And and now it's like I woke up the day after Thanksgiving to an inbox of <laughs> a, at least 200 <laughs> emails that were all the sales of of from stores and places that I've frequented, maybe not even frequented, ordered from once online. 
and I'll be damned if they don't suck me in to it, the minute I see like a 40 percent off on something. Then I'm like, you know what? At some point, I'm going to need this. <laughs> I might this. not even want this. I don't need but it it's now 40% for sure. Off. But it's forty percent. <laughs> it's not ten. Ten and twenty, I can't do. But forty percent, I can't ignore. And then I just feel like I end up spending more on stuff that I didn't think about or didn't need on Black Friday or Cyber Monday because there's Cyber Mondays thrown into it now. And uh, honestly, now I'm just getting all of these. Like I impulsively, I'm like, okay, forty percent off of the dog food. That I didn't need, but I'm going to try this Wait, new dog you, food. Hold on. You have a Black <laughs> Friday deal on dog food? It, I, you know, it's like in, in these these ads come up, stuff comes up. I got some money off on the new dog food that I'm going to try. But I just realized, like, I, you end up spending more. That's the whole point. You said it's a racket, and it is because you you spend more because you're it's in front of you and you're buying things. Well, it works. I mean, right? It, the, For it's me, a, the sucker. I think for maybe a few hundred million Americans, it all works. But yeah, fr Black Friday to Cyber Monday the, allowed them to make it a whole four days of right. sales. Right. But, uh, so anyway, the point is, is I'm really like strategically trying to delete like every... E I'm also one of those people who I can't have my email inbox. Oh, you have to scroll all the way down and go to unsubscribe. I, I know that. I know that. Oh, okay. I, some <laughs> I want to unsubscribe from. I just mean I don't I'm not a person like have you ever had a friend where you look at their phone and it says their inbox says like 10,000 emails are in there? Yeah, that's me. Oh, God, <laughs> it gives me anxiety. It gives me so much anxiety. I have 2,790 un no! un unanswered emails. Oh, yeah. God, I can't. I, okay. I cannot. You have to deal with that right now. It says inbox for me 217. And that makes me anxious. So I, that's what I'm working on for the rest of the day. All right, After... pace, pace yourself through the holidays. <laughs> just pace yourself. All right. This was not what people are here to listen to, though. No. What they're here for today is one of the most iconic, amazing 90s actors, characters. Like, I, I mean, when you think. Yes, but not in the 90s, really, she wasn't. But, but she is now. And we have so much to talk to her about. And David, you're, you've worked with her, too. Yes, we worked together for years. I love this girl, Soleil Moonfry, Punky Brewster, and ha she's just crushing it still. And uh, let's welcome her onto the show. Yes. Oh, my God, Soleil, it's so good to see you. It's so good to see you guys. I'm, like, giving you guys a hug over, uh, over virtual love here, you know, like, energetically. <laughs> I wish we were all together. <laughs> I know. And David and I were were texting earlier today, like back and forth, because we're so excited that you're coming on. But both David, you reached out to me to ask if um, if I had seen Kid 90. And we and so David and I started an exchange because, of course, we want to talk to you about that. We want to talk to you about everything. But I, I just feel like for for this podcast, for us, for the the world we all grew up in together in L.A. in the 90s during that time, you captured that so beautifully and so emotionally and 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 truthfully. Um, and there's, it's just such a love letter. It's such a love letter filled with incredible memories, so much heartbreak. But you beautiful one are so incredible what an amazing job you did with that your vulnerability first of all you're an 
freaking amazing filmmaker, documentary it's filmmaker. So <laughs> okay, um, I, oh, I, I please like I literally um, just want to say that how much this means to me and how emotional it makes me because you you really captured the essence of everything um, in our experiences and I'm so grateful and it really it. it it is with the deepest gratitude and emotions that I thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for sharing. Let me say that this podcast has become a way for Christine and I to catch up with old friends because <laughs> it's so hard in the real world. But we literally ha have booked people on this show that we just want to like talk to and catch up with. And it's so good to see you. You know, we worked together for so many years, but I want to continue with the Kid 90 thing because I watched it last night. I was laying in bed. My wife was sleeping. And I was not expecting what I saw because Soleil, I always loved you. And I knew you were like this spiritual, sweet, kind person. And, but I did not know you, you had captured all the videos of your entire life before there were iPhones, before any of this stuff. And then the, my takeaways, I was in bed laughing at all the, the, the amazing times. And, um, and then I saw Jonathan Brandis's face. I saw Andrew's face and, you know, Balt and David talking about how your house was a safe place. And you talking about how you grew up surrounded by love in, and the way you grew up was so beautiful. And everyone came to your house and, and felt safe there. And I, man, I was so blown away. You did such an amazing job, but like, I have to ask, how did you, know to carry a video camera around with you before anyone had an iphone oh thank you so much do you see my tears I, I'm, so I'm getting weepy honestly I, like oh. i'm thinking back about it i it's it's yeah i you were so ahead of your time and so talk about what that was like just carrying your your cameras around with you and capturing everything like oh, did you know it was magical in the in the moment or did you just feel like I just want to keep these memories alive? So incredible. You know, from the time I was about five years old, I had a, a little diary and I wrote everything down in that diary. And then at about 10, 11 years old, I got this tape recorder. Remember those little audio recorders? You know, like a tape recorder. The, the dictaphone, the little dictaphone tape. <laughs> I started recording and I'd be like, hello, is anyone out there? You know, and then, and then I graduated to video camera and I really think, you know, there was a saying that my godfather used to say that I, I really live so much by. We write and we are written. And I think there was this there was this part of me that was very much this this teen journalist, you know, loving the world around her. And it was such a colorful world. And I was so I was so captivated by it. And it felt so, as you guys know, so alive in that time in the 90s growing up in Los Angeles and New York. And I just was so captivated by it all that I just wanted to capture every single moment. And I think in some way on some, some, you know, I like I'm so into physics and, you know, and, and you know, my concepts around time are probably very different than a lot of people, you know, um, and and so I, I almost feel like the past, present and future are all this, you know, I've always felt that is is all happening, you know, at the same time in the present moment. And so it's like this interesting thing where I think I almost left like a chronological blueprint, but I was so protective over my friends. So I locked all the footage away for like 20 years. You know, I was so protective over my friends. And also we had lost 
you know, some of our closest friends and family at such a young age. So anytime I went to go look back, it was so painful. So I had all of this footage and diaries, you know, sitting in Tupperware, locked away, (laughs) like Pandora's box. And, um, and really I, 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 I went through this stage in my life where I started to question, you know, here I had this beautiful family. I have this incredible family and I had been married for so many years and raising this family. And I started to wonder like, who am I, you know, um, in addition to this exquisite family and, 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 and all of these beautiful parts of my life, I was really going through this time of like, you know, wondering about the spark, you know what I mean? That spark that I associated with youth, you know? And I was like, I remember, and then also really thinking about my friends that were no longer here. And I was like, how is Jonathan Brandis no longer with us? How is Justin Pierce and Harold Hunter and, you know, best friends. These were such dear friends that were such a part of my life. And I was like, we had such a beautiful, joyful life. And so I started to look back and in that was really how the evolution of Kid 90 happened. And it was like this onion. And of course there were so many beautiful experiences and then there was there was so much pain underneath and so it was really this process of self-discovery that um was just such an incredible journey and has continued on and it fundamentally changed my entire life i i i I can imagine i mean really like for you to number one you know the to, to have the foresight to hold safely hold on to all of those things because i took lots of pictures and my god i still find them like shoved in little like like Wait, storage Christine, units you, you made us that book <laughs> yes Our i whole... did yeah. i i always had a camera and i remember carrying around a video camera but oh my god that footage was uh, and i loved my people and i love my friends but that could turn up anywhere at any time. <laughs> I was not as like for you to know, I need to keep this safe. I have friends from high school who kept all of the notes we wrote to each other, too. And I just wish I wish that I I held on to some things. But to be able to hold on to that and like you said, to look at to be at a moment in your life with a beautiful family as a as a as a woman, you know, who has raised this family and and kind of self-reflect to go back to the beginning and you were somebody who was like put into the into the spotlight as a wee little thing right so so much of how you grew up was in front of cameras and you you had to be on a lot and you know and i think you you capture so beautifully in the documentary like how when you when when you started to become you and find your people and your friends like your own identity and who you were and what you loved and who you loved and and I, it's it's so for our listeners for for any of those 90 fans out there who are listening to this podcast you must watch kid 90 it's hulu is it is it streaming uh, yes. anywhere else? Yeah, hulu. On hulu and uh and yeah I, i'm i'm so thrilled to to have this conversation and i hope everyone connects to it and loves it. You know, one of one of the things that was most important to me was that when people watched it, they felt like they were on their own journey. And one of the greatest moments was someone very close to me um, and their son having a conversation with me. And the son who was in his late 20s said, I've been that girl in the pool heartbroken before. And I was like, yes, that's my dream that like every 
person, every age would like watch it and, and that there's something nostalgic that they can hold on to and that really through watching it, they're able to connect with their own experiences from their youth. And the spark that, you know, that we were talking about of of youth is also that spark of being in our creative juices and our creative flow, you know, and when I started the doc, it was meant to be about everyone but me. And then it became so personal and I'm so grateful for that. Like the ways in which it's expanded my life, the ways in which it's changed my parenting, the way that I am with my kids, like it has fundamentally that experience. I really feel like sometimes, you know, looking back into the past can help us to like move forward into the future, you know, and, and so much healing that went on and, and has made me such a stronger woman, such a stronger mother, um, and this sense of self that has been really incredibly freeing and just an amazing journey. So I'm very yeah. honestly making that movie seems to me <clears throat> probably was the greatest one year or two year therapy session in the history of the world. Right? Like <laughs> it, was, it was actually like my entire life's therapy session. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of years. And then my entire life changed. I mean, I had been married for over what for like, I mean, David, what, 20 years or something. I mean, you know, um, and I love him so much and have so much love for him and, and our beautiful children. I mean, my whole life, you know, completely transformed, you know, going in different directions and, you know, just it was just like peeling back the onion and, you know, until I was just like so raw at the core. It was like, OK, we're peel this layer and this layer and this layer and this layer. And this, you know what I mean? And, but but through that all really found what's so what's so incredible is like that we get to have these different versions of ourselves throughout our life. Right. And I feel way more um, connected to who I was at that time and with the life experiences that I have now. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's just, such yeah. A well, you talk about coming yeah. of age again, coming of age again as an adult, right. <laughs> Which you did this courageous thing and unlocked all of these memories and then put it out there in the most raw, honest beautiful way I mean, like christine said it really is a love letter to everyone that you came up with uh, you know i the faces that i saw it was just it, it blew my mind but then also to realize how loved you are uh -huh. right all those years back then you, we all didn't know like am i accepted and and now you know how loved you were and how loved you are and that's the message of the movie to me Thank you. It's so it's so true. It's so wild. You know, I mean, just no matter where you live, the layers of insecurity or, you know, questioning ourselves and, you know, just all of those elements. And, and, and I say it in the documentary that it's like I love people so much and I really didn't realize how loved back I was. So then to realize it at this stage in life, just the, the layers of, of, of reflection and self-love and, um, and all of those beautiful elements that it's built within my heart. Like I just, oh, it's such a beautiful experience. And what, you know, a takeaway for me too was, was cause man, are we living in a time where we all have kids of that age, the teenagers, the kids in their, our, David, you and I have kids in our twenties, do you have a, is your, how old's oh, your oldest I right have, now? I have 18, 15, okay. you, <laughs> nine and seven. Okay. That, I just stopped right there. How? By the way, I hung out with Lyric at a birthday party the other night 
<laughs> we were at a, we were at a food truck, and he is one of the smartest, coolest, most per. He's like, "Who are you?" <laughs> like, I'm friends. I'm friends with your parents. <laughs> And we got into it. Anyway, she's I, got- I love, wait, this is one of the highlights of this entire experience. I love how David's like, I was hanging out with your son at a food truck. I'm like, where, what? Wait. The first time hearing of it, like, right? <laughs> I'm convinced that my children sometimes like, like, oh, are you a 90 year old? And what's happening here? That is amazing. Uh, it's so true. But I do what I what I love is is, you know, we we talk about it all and just even talk even just the three of us talking right now, the nostalgia, the the joy, the spark you talk about, but you really put a spotlight on the darkness too of 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 what growing up. I mean, forget even just growing up in show business or being in you know the the entertainment industry and the pressures that came with that and the stress and like we all talked about the insecurities but that was a period of time unlike now where people did not have feel comfortable to say it or talk about it or have the outlets and for you it, it's it's so relevant because i think you know you even you say it in the in in the in one of your interviews that you said, you know, there were voicemails and voicemails, but I, how was I supposed to know that it was that dark and that we were scary kids, for some right? of my friends? We, were, we, we, none of us listened, none of us. Yeah, heard. we didn't know, we didn't know well, better. Right, and I think there's also this element of, um, of, of wanting to do anything you can to save the people that you love, right? And, and this realization that has come since this experience is also that like you can be there and love and nurture and care. And at the same time, the only person that can, you know, save someone is, is themselves. Right. So I had to work through after the release of, there was just layers that you, that you discover along the way, whether it's guilt or shame or, you know, all of these different elements of just wanting to be everything you can to the people that you love and that love you. And then this radical acceptance that you get to of like, okay, I, I, I also just, I, I have to take care of, of me. Right. And my kids to the best of my ability. And when I fall one day, like get up the next day and go, okay, I'm going to do better today and not, you know, beat yourself up over it. Right. So just the the layers and, and that, you know, mental health is such an important conversation to be having. Right. And, and to to take away the stigma so that we can have these conversations openly, you know, um, or struggles or, and, and just all of these things that individuals are going through and, and that so often we can feel so alone. Um, and I think the more that we have these open dialogues, the more that we can destigmatize it so that we can, you know, have healthy conversations and and not feel so alone. Yeah, and you were fearless when it came to that, even back then when you were, you know, when you talked about your plastic surgery, when you talked about what you were doing for you. And these were things people did not talk about back then, let alone child stars, right? Breast reduction and going like, oh, I want to help people, you know, and, and again, like just how 
that how this 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 very real thing that I was going through where I'm a teenager and feeling sexualized as a teenager because I, I had these ginormous, beautiful, you know. Because you grew boobs. Yes. And, yet, and yet you were the last American virgin, right? I right, mean, you, exactly. were, you were a prude. <laughs> totally. And it's so interesting. And then I look at, you know, our kids and, and this, gen, like the kids, our kids generation who's growing up then with that magnified times a bazillion because of social media and because of, you know, comments and likes and, you know, this whole world that is so instantaneously at their fingertips. And I go like, oh my gosh, like, I don't even think we've begun to scratch the surface at how that will impact, you know, future generations. So I do think it's so important for us to, you know, carry on these conversations. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. 
players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible Uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think we got to go back to uh, the beginning. Um, to, to the last. <laughs> I mean, how many years have you been talking about Punky Brewster? But honestly, it was a it was a groundbreaking show, right? A show based on a young, powerful girl who was not afraid to express her opinions and stand up for herself. She was orphaned and punky power forever and ever and ever punky, <laughs> punky power <laughs> power punky it really it resonated my, my inner really... superhero <laughs> i love her so much how did you get that role what was happening like how, how did you start acting oh my goodness um well i, I it's so wild my my brothers were actors my father was an actor and a, a civil rights activist and my family were political activists and artists and always had you know incredibly creative people around my godfather was a brilliant commercial director and so we had artists um that were also incredibly um beautiful amazing souls that were very much involved in activism in our house. And my mom was a food artist. And I mean, just, it was such an incredible um, home to grow up in. And so I was incredibly shy. I didn't speak till I was like three years old. I was shy. (laughs) shy. Uh, And then I started talking in full sentences and I was always hiding behind my mom when I would be on sets and then at like five years old, I was like, I want to try this. And and she was like, uh, you know, you're the shy little thing, you know. And so when I went to my first meeting, she was like, I don't know if she's going to say anything. I mean, I had all sorts, <laughs> I had all sorts of quirks as a little kid. Um, I still do, obviously. So anyway, so I go in and I was totally different in front of people and in front of the camera. It really helped bring me out of my shell. And then about seven years old, I got the six, six years old, seven years, something like that. I got the audition for Punky. And I mean, it was just incredible. They were doing this massive search of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of kids. And 
I fell so in love with her and she became my superpower, you know, and, um, and it was so amazing and went in over and over and over again. And it was really wild. I had an experience where I was going into one of the like final callback, you know, callbacks that you go into with the big network and all that. And I got into the elevator and someone told my mom and I that they had gotten the part. And um, oh, yeah, that's that's and, low down. And uh, and and my mom was like, OK, let's go. And I was like, no, I'm still going in. And I only found out a few years ago also that. Someone said that someone had called and like gone to cancel me. So it's like I fought for it so hard. Um, and she was just so me. And and really, I look at Punky as being like it, it, she is truly such a part of my inner being and who I lean into. And it's like I always say that if I'm like 110 years old and people still call me Punky, like I'll be so grateful because she is um, such an amazing amazing part of my life and i feel like this show uh wasn't just a show you know it was it was an extension of ourselves and um and so i'm really just forever grateful for punky and i i try to think about those being six years old okay i've got some memories like do you like i was not a professional actress at six years old so i have like memories that stick out to me of like the time I raised my hand in class and got the answer wrong and I was mortified, like little things like that and highlights in my family of like we got a puppy or those sorts of things. But I would imagine because these were such giant moments, like you said, it was like you were going into audition for tons of people like you. Th- that you you have so many more memories from that period of time than we do. Memories. Some amazing. Plus, plus, you were taking pictures of everything. Oh, and I had diaries also from it, like like going to the White House for the Easter egg roll, and then like my mom and I got separated because there was like thousands of people, and she comes and finds me, and I'm eating like fried chicken in the Oval Office. Wait, who who was president at the time? Uh, Bush was president during the Bush time. won. <laughs> wait, no, Reagan. Wait, no, was Reagan president? Hold on, I think Bush was vice president at the time. You went to the oh. Reagan White House for an Easter yes, egg hunt? Yes, of course. That's- what am I talking about? <laughs> Hello? Hold on. See, this yes. is like, wait. What, what, what was this? Like 80? Oh, I was, I was the first spokesman for Just Say No to Drugs with Nancy Reagan. So obviously it was Ronald Reagan. Oh, my God. This is, this is what happens. It's like there's memories and they're like in rooms in your brain. And then when you open it, it's like, oh, of course. Like, I remember the picture of Bush and I saying hi to each other. <laughs> really, it was Reagan. And I was there with Nancy Reagan. And I... <laughs> Then they gave me a puppy that I named Georgie, right? <laughs> wait, wait, the Reagans gave you a puppy? Yes, I think so. It was a little Shih Tzu. It was this so is cute. like insane history, I, honestly. I, By the way, I don't know if anyone knows that, but I'm pretty sure that the puppy came from the White House. <laughs> and you kept it, you, you that, was your, that was your pet? Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, you guys. See, you are opening the memory banks here and we're I, unlocking we're I, unlocking thing that only my mom and i know so but now everyone on your amazing podcast knows. I, you know what I, so, in your doc to go back to your documentary you talk about are these the stories that happened or the stories that we tell ourselves right and christine we talk about that like you and i remind each other of things and like of our, re- we have our own versions too and right. david we have to cross what- over about which what like my version's totally different than his version Right. right, but Soleil, you know, confronts that in her documentary. Like, exactly, what was real and what was 
my perception. Totally. And it's so, and, and this is where the chronological blueprint is fascinating. And there is a shot of it actually in the documentary because I have a diary that is called Jelly Beans on the front from 1984. And there's a picture of the White House that I draw like in my diary, right? And I'm like, I went to the Easter egg roll at the White House, you know? And so it's like, I can see it. It's like this chronological blueprint, right? But it's told through the perspective of an eight-year-old little girl, right? So it's like colors and drawings and, you know, it's, it's so wild. It's amazing that you knew to document it all at so, six years right. old, right? Like. I, I have nothing to look back on except maybe some photos, but you knew it was important to that you were living a very unique life, I think. Or so wild. You knew it was important. Was Punky written that way or you came in and just like like you said, you were very different in front of that kind of group of people than you were with your own family. Did you sort of birth Punky or did you kind of come in and give it your own spin? Like, or did it just that become- is, That is one of the best questions I think I've ever gotten, ever, ever, ever. And I, it's true. I I feel like Punky was such a beautifully, um, deliciously, wonderfully written character that the creators put so much love behind. And it came from all levels, from David Duclon and the incredible creator creatives, the writers, the directors, Brandon Tartikoff, who literally had, you know, he was such an important, pivotal, brilliant part of, of the birth of Punky. And Brandon the dog was named after him. You know, this was a time in television that was such a golden, beautiful, spectacular era, right? And the importance of diversity and conversations and the elements that we were going, you know, through of Punky being abandoned by her mother and her father and coming together with Henry and that you would heal through laughter and Cherry and the power of this relationship between Cherry and Punky and how beautiful and exquisite that was. So you had these incredible writers and, and literally Brandon Tartikoff had gone to school and adored this young woman named uh, Penelope Brewster. So Punky was named after the girl that he had gone to school with. And so there was so much love around Punky. And then reading this character and falling so in love with her, all of the elements that made up me, do you know what I mean? Then really went into her. And I had come from a home where my parents were friendly, but my mom was a single mom raising us and, and all of the things that came along with that. And so I think she really became like my, my superpower and, and where I would play make believe. And we were still able to be kids on set. So it was, it, it was such a wonderful environment because we'd be on the pogo stick or, you know, scooters. And it, so even though it was, it wasn't necessarily the most traditional lifestyle, we had a beautiful life and we were scootering over to Johnny Carson set and then roller skating at home after school. And so I was still able to very much have a childhood. Oh, so, yeah, because every, every kid in America scooters was, from yeah, Johnny exactly, Carson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it was like lightning in a bottle. I think all yeah. of the elements made for um, for such a special experience. So such a unique way to grow up. But like, so Punky, after that show, you know, going from child actor to even teen actor to adult actress, director. I mean, what what what, what were those years like? I mean... You know, I talk, 
I certainly talk about it a lot in Kid 90, which, you know, I went I went from finishing Punky. I did another pilot and um, still, you know, wanted to go to school and have kind of a traditional experience there. So did that for a while. And then as I started developing, I started developing really rapidly. So I wrapped Punky around 12 years old. And by the time I was 13, I was like in rapid development. I had my surgery uh, at 15, right before 16. And I was already, I mean, I had developed so, so rapidly. I can't, it's crazy because I remember and I'm, you know, I'm four, five, I'm definitely older than you. So I remember looking back when at the time when even when you were having the surgery and I like I just didn't I guess because you were around and so mature for your age that because you had been around um it's that so I didn't realize you were 15 it's so crazy and so I so I ended up having this very awkward stage or you know going through you know the layers of awkwardness and yet at the same time amazing friends, amazing family. So it was like, it was an incredibly colorful world. And I think the more and more that I was going through this, you know, kind of quirky stage and awkward stage and or insecure stage, all of those things, then I started to document more and more, which was like such a blessing that I was like, okay, I'm going to take all of these experiences and turn it into art. And in some way, the camera became like a a way for me to to be behind the lens and like this protective device and being able to capture things from a different perspective. And so ooh, that, ooh, the protective, the protective yeah. device, right? Like you're the one behind the camera. Right. You, anybody uh, messes with me, I got it on camera. You just became, it became like an extension of me. And and that was where I was able to like to really put my creative juices and I still was doing fun things in between and would go and do a guest spot here and go and do a little movie here and and having these incredible experiences with school but I started focusing more and more on the creative and I was like writing screenplays and you know just like just totally diving into like the artist you know artistic side of my like filmmaking part of my brain and all of that at that age you didn't get your whole self-esteem from being on a hit show. You weren't like, I need another punky. You're like, I'm, I have a loving family. I have great friends. I'm going to branch out and find who I am. Like you knew that. Definitely. Yeah. And I, and I, and, and also just, I mean, you know, I think, and I mean, you guys both know in this business that we're in, when you go in, it, it was interesting. I always found, I don't know about you guys, but some of the nicest most wonderful um, audition experiences were with like the biggest directors and they would, and they'd be so the, some, I, I had some of the most incredible experiences, for example, going in and meeting with Coppola, who is my idol is my, you know, I mean, just like, Oh my God. And his kindness and his generosity and his spirit and his warm heart. Right. And being so loving and giving and taking that time to make you feel so special. And that was my experience with him. And then you would go into auditions for, you know, a movie that wasn't so big and like the director would have like the biggest ego and like <laughs> right. you'd, go, you'd leave the audition feeling like crap, right? And so you had this like total juxtaposition, right? Where you would, but you might have like, you know, a hundred of those auditions. And then that one experience with someone that was like your hero who 
surpassed all of your wildest dreams of, you know, of what a filmmaker would be like with you in a room. Do you know, did you have these experiences, Christine and David? Absolutely. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. So I think like you have to build up some kind of tough skin, right? Because you're, you know, you're in that race day in, day out, you know? And so having those other interests, you know what I mean? Like, so that your entire identity is not wrapped up in whether people like you or not, or whether you're the right height or the right, right weight, you're the right, you know, size, shape, color, whatever. The right anything, the right anything, anything. yes. Yeah, it's a terrible trap. It's a terrible trap. And and if you start to believe that hype, right, whether you're, you know, whether it be positive or negative, I think that that's where it can be a really dangerous territory, you know what I mean? Um, If that becomes you know, in anything in life, right. Whether it's acting or any Mm -hmm. profession, right. If you, um, if you believe all the good or all the bad, um, that becomes a really dangerous pattern. Um, for sure. And, and so I think like having those other outlets helped me to stay grounded in it. Um, and certainly I think helped me really like with my own sense of survival and, and as a mother then later of lessons that I could ultimately pass on to my kids, the irony being, of course, that so many kids are like, oh, mom, you haven't been through this or dad, you haven't been through this, right? And I'd be like, well, look at the tapes, really? (laughs) (laughs) I have to ask, are any of your children interested in the entertainment business? Oh my goodness, completely. A thousand. Oh boy, there we go. I mean, my <laughs> Just daughter- show them Kid 90, they'll be like, nah, I'm out. <laughs> it's so incredible. My, my daughter, Poet, and I have had the incredible privilege to work on this campaign together. And she's such an activist and incredible and spoke, I mean, she's just this amazing force of light and she's doing a gap program right now and traveling the world and just so amazing. Jagger's incredible. She's a total filmmaker. She's directing. I mean, literally this weekend, I'm oh, like, wow. okay, time to get a tree. And she's like, Mom, I've been prepping my film for five weeks and I'm doing my short this week. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> she's, my she's in prep. Oh, yeah, she's in prep, like full blown <laughs> prep. And like my cast is coming up from San Diego. I'm like, who are what is going on here? Um, and then my nine year old is literally I mean, his film cinema um, history. I mean, you know, he you know, he'll talk about his favorite Charlie Chaplin movies and go on and on and, you know, and, and just, I mean, he is a film buff, uh, like, I mean, he's writing a novel. And then my seven-year-old story, who's so incredible and just like such lightning. And he's like, got the whole YouTube thing down and I'm going to have my YouTube this and I want to go and help people and go give back and do this whole, you know, it's like Mr. Beast. Right. So he like, he literally, you know, and like the kids growing up with these different things, he has an entire thing. I they're just it's so incredible that you could have these amazing children and they're all so uniquely themselves i'm like they're so each one is so different right um i mean i'm thinking you just talked about your seven-year-old i'm now thinking of little you at seven and he's he has all of these ideas these big ideas he's gonna change the world he's gonna like it's incredible and they you know they they do come from mom and dad i believe really strongly that there's it's in the bloodline i really believe it i really believe there's something there but yet they have their own paths they have their own likes 
interests. Um, oh man, so you've got four that are <laughs> four. And how old are your kids? Well, Christine has a daughter at Juilliard. I just have to say, so they, oh. Christine and Ben, <laughs> they, their children definitely have the 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 gene. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, she's she. I have a 21 year old who's graduating this May, and a 18 year old who's graduating high school in June. So, um, and they both have the. They both want to do it too. So, oh my goodness, it happens. It happens. And it's so crazy because I still feel 18. So I know, right? <laughs> don't we all? Don't all three of us feel like that? We both feel because I'm like, how is it possible to have? An 18-year-old when I'm 18. Do you ever Right. Except when I wake up in the morning, my body doesn't feel 18 anymore. When I get out of bed and I'm like, what happened to my heel? Like during that sleep. Like why okay. is when I step not, and, like, not 18. <laughs> and land on my heel? David, how old do you feel? Um, I feel better than I felt in my 30s, to be honest. I think yeah. I was... I was probably stoned every day that we worked together for all those years. Oh, sweet David. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being no, not not on set, but I mean, I was like not in great shape, you know, and now I'm, I take care of myself. I feel better than I did 20 years ago, but. You both look amazing. You look incredible, both of you. Um, I was gonna, when you were you talked about well. four kids, <laughs> I was gonna say, you really look like you're probably one of their siblings. You are so. Hands down. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. 
how this beguiling woman in her 50s she looked like a million bucks with zero qualifications she had a harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents she's got all of these maseratis and bentleys all in the driveway is it like a mansion yes it's a mansion that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes... I guess identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Christine, we spent some years together working on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I know Melissa is one of our mutual best friends. And uh, I just, you know, I remember you being just such a sweetheart and never losing your temper, never getting upset or disrespectful to anyone and just very, like, Do you imagine having a big enough ego to lose my temper? I'm like, what are you talking (laughs) about? Well, I mean, you know, season four, five, six, people start to get uh, irritable. But no, I, but anyway, what was, I, I feel like Sabrina was an incredible family environment. I mean, we were close with the sound guys, the lighting guys, the makeup, the hair, the wardrobe. And Paula Hart, who was Melissa's mom, set this culture where literally every weekend you could go to Paula's house and there was a game night going on and there oh, was Sabrina yes. cast and crew. So and then Melissa would God. have these girl spa nights and there oh, was always something going on to bond the cast and the crew. That was my experience. What what was yours? Exactly the same. It was such a beautiful, incredible experience. David, I mean, I, I love you so much. We had such an incredible time together. And Melissa is one of my absolute just I, I favorite people. I love yeah, her your so much. I mean, talk about like authenticity and just being so genuinely herself and what Paula and she created um, just that that 
ethos of love and friendship and connection that was so authentically real, you know? So you would be going to, you know, do your work. And then it was, you know, so amazing because, I mean, they knew exactly what they wanted. They knew how to get it right and do it beautifully. And you would get out and then it was like going to dinner or having, I mean, I think about the holidays and the way that, you know, you'd go to Melissa's house and the smells of, you know, Christmas and or Paula's house and there'd be food and home cooked meals and the love and, you you would spend the weekend all enjoying each other's company and then going back to work together again to look forward also to the weekend in which you were all hanging out. It was just like it was it was such a beautiful, profound experience. Yeah, and special. It was, special. It was like family. Like I loved going to set every day and I loved every moment that we got to spend with each other. And I think like we were talking about, there was just this there wasn't a whole lot of ego wrapped up in it, right? So I remember like Melissa and I even had these scooters, right? So when I was a kid, it was riding to Johnny Carson's and, and Melissa and I would ride our scooters to Larchmont, you know, it was like, and here we were like in our early twenties, like riding scooters around Paramount, you know? And um, there was just so much love. And I just, I, I really do have such beautiful memories of you and, and Melly and just the whole exactly what you said, where the whole crew spent time together, the whole cast. It was really special. Hearing you talk about the time and David, you, when we had Melissa on and Elisa talking about the time spent at Paula's and the 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 family, it just reminds me so much of of your household, too. <laughs> Growing like you're you were the hub. Right. You were yeah. that. Oh, I've been so fortunate to be in these incredible environments with just the most profoundly beautiful people, like full of love and open hearts that I'm just so grateful for. But I don't think it's an accident either. I mean, I think, yes, you got the job, but I think people are attracted to other people like that. Light attracts light. Like I was just, you just took the words out of my mouth. Exactly. Damn it. <laughs> That's so good. Yes, it's frequency and it's like setting that energetic frequency and then that's what comes back, right? Like Yeah, you contributed to all of those nurturing environments. Your home growing up, the Sabrina set, you contributed to that. You well, know? It's, it's when we when we're connected energetically, right? And 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 those positive energies come together and create that, you know, that synergy and these synchronicities that are so Exquisite. I mean, I get so excited. We could talk about physics and energy. And- <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so oh funny when God. you say, when you even say the word physics, I get scared. But then when you talk about light and frequencies and like just connection, but that ultimately is physics, right? I just don't like the Energetic, word physics. Magnetic field. <laughs> just any any science or math, anything. Ugh. We should get so laid together with Mayan. <laughs> and have a neuroscience <laughs> physicist ex actress discussion <laughs> writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. 
We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old <laughs> Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We have to ask you about this incredible meningitis B campaign. Like, this is something that is obviously... I watched a, a clip of you online with your your childhood friend who is your doc your doctor or just a friend yes, who's a, yeah. Shaka. Yes, Doctor Shaka is 
my literally we met at 15 years old at a UB40 concert. So really <laughs> when you watch Red Red Wine, watch, it's so cool. But when you learn about what we're doing, I, it's so incredible. And when you watch our short on Lifetime, I never thought to ask, A Mom's Quest for Answers, which I really would love for you all to watch. Uh, you will see one of my childhood best friends, Dr. Shaka. And Shaka and I grew up together from the time that we were 15 years old. Uh, she is such an incredible part of my life. And uh, when I learned about meningitis B, I was so blown away. And I immediately reached out to Shaka and asked her questions and learned so much. And um, tell us, tell our listeners and David and I how how you learned about it. Like, what wh was it a doctor appointment, a regular checkup? And a friend, a friend had told me about it. And I had the assumption, like so many, that the kids are vaccinated for meningitis B when they're younger. Turns out that meningitis B is something totally different. So I learned about it and I had so many questions and I reached out to my pediatrician and asked him questions. And really meningitis B is an uncommon but potentially deadly disease that can affect 16 to 23 year olds is one of the groups that is most affected. Uh, and so as I have kids, my you know 18 year old going out into the world and traveling the world, I had so many questions and learned more and more and then reached out to my dear friend, Dr. Shaka. And she gave me all of this incredible information. And I was so grateful to team up with GSK and Lifetime to do this incredible short film that our dear friend, Melissa Joan Hart was a part of as well. So- Oh, really? I, yeah. So the way in which it happened was incredibly organic and meeting the incredible people throughout this process from survivors to family that have lost loved ones like Allison, who- um, is just such an incredible, um, beautiful being. And Patty, I mean, just these mothers who have been through so much. And for example, you know, with Allison, she lost her son, Keegan. And here was this healthy, incredible kid who's doing sports and all of these amazing things. And meningitis B, um, you know, ends up taking his life uh oh, and, you know, it's devastating it's devastating so it is incredibly devastating and incredibly important to raise awareness around and to ask our healthcare providers and to ask our doctors because again so many people think that their kids are vaccinated when they're younger for it and really meningitis b is different so learning about it you know, advocating for our children, asking those questions is is so important. And I learned about it right around the time Poet was 16. So it was really an incredible time to be able to ask. What's the documentary called and where can people see it? It's called I Never Thought to Ask, A Mom's Quest for Answers, and they can go on to Lifetime. Lifetime, okay. Yeah, mylifetime.com slash ask to be sure. Ask to be with yeah, a B, so, right? <laughs> oh, is that the name ask, of the chat? Is it a is it like a five hundred one charity? Ask so, to be. So ask, so ask to be sure. I'll, I'll give you guys all the info, and you guys can put it on the. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes, we'll do it on our Instagram account. Yeah. That would be great. Um, but I, I like you, remember going into that just annual appointment with my daughter, and and they said, okay, we're checking up on the, you know, what up to what she's up to date on, and. And they said meningitis B, and I was like, "Well, that's isn't that like a something that they are vaccinated for when they're young? And isn't that like 
who gets that? Like, is that actually something people really get? Um, say, I was shocked to hear that the, it's a, it's you know, not the, it's people who are not vaccinated for it. It's a fairly, it's like a, I don't know what the percentage was, but I was shocked to hear that if you're not vaccinated for it, that it could, you know, it, and it affects this specific age group when they're out in the world, when they're going to camp, to college, um, and they're around lots of other kids. And I was, I, I mean, it was just, I felt so ignorant. <laughs> I was just not, well, I, I had no idea. I, I realized, I was like, if I don't know about this, then there must be millions of other people that are that don't know about it as well. And because they're in closer quarters, like you were saying, right, going off to college or going out into the world, you know, my daughter was just traveling through Europe and they're all, you know, sharing things and, you know, people share everything and they're in tighter quarters and all of those things that, you know, that we all love to do in our <laughs> um, So my point being that it's really important to ask to be sure. And I think as, as a parent, you know, I mean, as we are all parents, right, we, we want to advocate for our kids. And I think information is so important. And so not being afraid to ask those questions and have these conversations and every family is different. And so making the choices for our families that are right for us and not being afraid to ask those questions. And one of the things that has been so incredible in talking to these families is just that parent's instinct, right? A mother or father's instinct around asking questions. And I think always following that instinct and advocating for our kids and asking questions and having these dialogues is is so important. Yeah, you can't learn anything if you're too afraid to ask the question. It has to start there. And, and that's the most important thing. And um, it's so great that you're talking about it. And it's it's just who you are. I mean, I think of you and I look back on on the footage of, you know, I, I was laughing when I'm going to go just go back because when what I was laughing at before was when you talked about those in-between jobs after Punky that you would like audition for these littler movies. And you do you put in some great footage of you in these like horror slasher films that oh, yeah. I did so many of in the 90s. <laughs> and those were some of the most by the way, in te- like movies that you couldn't even find on on video now, I'm sure, oh, yeah. or streaming anywhere. But like the most intense audition experiences where everyone took themselves so seriously. I mean, it was the most B of B movies, like <laughs> Night of the Demons 2. And, and they, I would have to like crawl on the floor like a demon and like the, the most. <laughs> but like. And then I would get on the set and and have meet these fun people and have a blast and get you know get killed like you did in one of those scenes. Oh, what was it, pump, pumpkin head or one pumpkin head? Oh yeah! Two? Oh my god! And by the way, we have to. Wouldn't it be fun to put our footage side by side of us in our in those sequences? You know, I mean. Oh yes, let's yeah, do that. Like, the pumpkin head on the stake is amazing. There are, I mean, there's so. Many good ones. By the way, I was really fortunate to work with well with Wes Craven. I was really fortunate to work with Wes Craven. One of my first movies was a movie called Invitation to Hell, where I got possessed and I'm like, and I have this like teddy bear bunny and I'm the dog dude. You know, it's like my voice changes. <laughs> wow, that was scary. <laughs> I could do this crazy thing with my voice, you know, and it like. Well, by the way, Wes Craven's not a B horror movie. He's no, the no, 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 no. I'm saying, I'm saying, I started with Wes Craven. Oh, okay. So then that went. was like my early experience, <laughs> and then as I, you know, went into, you know, but but by the way, to your point, it was so much fun. Like Roger Corman you know, w- was was responsible, I feel like, for me being able to, like, you know, like, just 
have a great time in that time. Wait, totally. What, what did you, yeah, what did you work with Roger Corman? Oh my God, what did I not work with Roger <laughs> Oh, that's like, so cool. I that's... learned how to drive a stick shift, you know, like doing a movie called The Liars Club where I was like 15 years old. I learned to drive stick shift on set also. Oh, yeah. I was, was terrified. Krause, Will Wheaton. Oh gosh, this is so 90s. Michael, like the most incredible cast, okay? It was so cool. I thought it was oh my Breakfast God. Club. You got to find the picture. <laughs> so, we had so much fun. At this time, I don't even know if I should share this because, but at the time you could, not that we were doing crazy things, but this would never fly now. You had this thing called like a honey wagon, you know? And do you remember the honey wagon? <laughs> They were for our listeners. They were the smallest trailer you could possibly. The smallest get. dressing room in a camper. To make it even smaller to fit in with their budgets, you would have a divider like in between, <laughs> like a like a, 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 a <laughs> like, a like a accordion. Type yes, screen. like an accordion divider. <laughs> and so Brian Krause and I decided we we're like, well, if we take down the screen, then we'll have more space for us all to hang out. So we had like the really fun honey wagon that everybody <laughs> could hang out in. Of course you did. Of course. Oh yeah, for sure. It was great. So anyway, we had a lot of fun. So his his sets were like one big party, essentially. <laughs> and I was 16 and at the time I only got emancipated so I could work more hours. So it was really funny because <laughs> I don't know why I'm showing all this. I'm not sure for. But anyway, what it means in the business terms, right, is that you can work more hours. So you're legally 18, legally by the court, right? Oh my God, my mom's right. going to pass out that I'm sharing this. But anyway, <laughs> I did it so that I could, because I wanted to like have these hang out more. Be able to do Roger Corman movies, right? right? Yes, it was very common for kids to get emancipated to get to yeah. get work. I think there- Right. But I do think there's this funny, you know, concept in the business, right, where people think that if you've done a show when you're younger, there's just, you know, all of this, you know, money flow or whatnot or whatever it is. Right. So you think that people, you know, when they're kids, if they've done something, but but it just is it's a very different reality a lot of times than what the world thinks. Right. So really at that time, like my mom was doing craft service to help support us. I was doing, you know, Roger Corbin movies to try to help support. And so we always, you know, all shared and everything. And um, and so it, but it, and and I wouldn't change any of it. You know what I mean? And, and so uh, it's just it's so interesting because people will just think, you know, or have these. Oh, no, they think you're set for life. She she was on that hit show and I see it all the time. So she must be set for life. Like it's so not what people think. Mayim talked about that after Blossom. It wasn't that wasn't the case after, you know, like, you know, you could years and years on a show. It's it wasn't like that. So um So anyways, Roger Corman, I did get to go to a semester of college, which was really exciting. Your journey just sounds amazing. Whatever, whether you're set for life or not, whatever, whatever other people think, you are in such a great place. You seem happy and healthy, beautiful children. And I'm just so happy for you. Thank you. So wonderful. I just love you guys so much. I want to like, literally just like give you guys the biggest hugs and loves like it's like wait let me ask you one more show is like a big giant hug it is (laughs) i gotta ask you one more question because you're such a such a talented director i i was seriously blown away by kid 90 last night i was in my bed and like it was late night my wife was sleeping i was laughing and crying but how did you we have guests on the show and we talk about 
uh, how deep you're going to go with your work. Patton Oswalt was saying last night, uh, last week, that uh, he will go as deep as he can with himself, but he's very cautious about bringing other people into his comedy set. And, uh, you know, I directed a film about my family and, and my mom and her men mental illness. And I know how difficult it can be. But how did you get all of those friends, very some of them incredibly famous, recognizable people, when you said, I'm going to air videos from 20 years ago? Are you cool with that? You know, everyone, uh, everyone throughout the process that was a part of it, was was incredible and the response was was just amazing and um and there was so much love and i feel like it was this incredible there there was so much goodwill you know david and christine like there was there was so much goodwill and love and um and throughout the process i mean again like you know layers upon layers happened throughout the process from you know, thinking I was making a documentary about the death of privacy in the last decade before, you know, the internet explosion to then it becoming so deeply personal. Um, Sean Penn, who is one of the closest people in my life, who I have such an honor of working with on CORE, um, early on, he had told me about a documentary called Sherman's March, um, which uh, is an incredible documentary. And I watched it and then I decided to do a whole found footage doc because I never watched all the footage back. There was this idea that I'd watched it all back and listened to all the tapes. I, like really, I was watching and living it for the first time in all these years, right? Oh, wow. So then we cut an entire found footage documentary and when we turned it in, the network was like, okay. And now, you know, so it was just layer upon layer and years of working on it and then going in and really sitting with it for years and listening to all the tape recordings and the videos. And so it was such a process. And, and, and what happened is that people really got behind it and there was so right. much love. And so your friends were had, part of the process, yeah, right? Cause it took had, so saw what I was going through. So you had friends, you know, one of the ways that Steven Dorf and I had reconnected was through Andrew's passing. And at the same time, I found all this footage of Andrew and I in New York, you know, and, and, and Brian and I reconnecting. So there was just all of these, like these elements that were so authentically truthful. And, um, and then, um, you know, Sean told other incredible people about it and, and, um, and that was amazing. And, and yeah. How did Leonardo DiCaprio and his production company end up producing it? So, so, um, so Leo and I watched it together and he was so incredibly supportive. Oh, wow. Amazing. And, um, and then Jennifer and Philip, whom I love so much, uh, became such advocates and such a special part of it at Appian Way and Appian Way came onto it. And, and there was just, again, there was so much love. Uh, uh, my dear friend, Jill, um, her incredible husband, and she, you know, gave music Eddie Vedder and Jill. And that was incredible. And one of the most amazing parts were Sarah Gilbert and Linda Perry watched it. And Linda Perry looked at it and said, you deserve your own soundtrack. And Linda Perry created one of the greatest soundtracks. I mean, for me, it was the soundtrack of my life that she created. Yeah, the music I, the, was the, the music was phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. I watched all of the credits at the end, too, to see all of the songs, because I was like, that oh. is such a dynamic soundtrack. 
just, it was so incredible. So the goodwill, I mean, and, and things, experiences, like I wrote Trent Reznor a letter because his music was playing in the dock. And so it, the, the goodwill of the people who came around it and supported it and, and then sharing it with friends and like friends like Kevin Connolly watching it and, and responding so beautifully. It was like so awesome and rapper poor and like, and people started like sharing it with their friends when they would watch it. And it was just like, it was, it was, there was so much this sense of like love and feeling of love that I just, I start crying thinking about it. My best friend, Tori, you know, called me the day, like the day after it came out and was like reading tweets from people I had never met, you know, coming in and the response that way and how it reconnected me with friends like Josh Miller and, you know, people that I had grown up with. It was just amazing the way that it brought people together. And there was just so much goodwill throughout, you know? Um, well, cause your, your intention behind the film was such uh, so loving and and it's such a it's such a time capsule of anyone 20 30 40 50 years from now wants to know what was it like growing up as an up-and-coming actor in the 90s in los angeles watch kid 90 and that's it it's a document but i do think and i think that you know when i look at the people that that were part of the journey with me from you know todd to amanda demi who took the most beautiful and delight. I mean, she was just did so much. I mean, just everyone to my dear friend, Joe, I mean, just everyone that was a part of it. I think when you create, make, um, do from your heart and it's pure of heart that that comes back to you. Do you know yep. what I mean? And, mm. and, and the only, you know, the, 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 there, there was so much beauty and so many people that touched my life during that time. And if there was a way to show all of them and share all of it, like someday I'd love to like do a museum exhibit where people could put on that, just go back to that time and watch endless videos and hear endless audio. But the way in which so many people that were a part of the doc in the footage and many that, that weren't in the dock, but still touched my lives. The ways in which people touched our lives is, is something that I hold so sacred and so close to my heart. And I think when you, when you come from that place of love and you don't have expectation or you're not, you know, coming at it and, and, and have a point of view, you know what I mean? That is. No, I saw it as a, a complete love letter to everyone who touched your life during those years. A, a, yeah, a really and, and everybody's handprint and, and you know, like you talked about that is that you're sort of the blueprint. It's like every person who's in it from the people that you interview more, you know, present day, but even the, the footage, it, it, you just feel this sort of collage of your life and and the, the impact and imprint they all made on your life and your heart and all of our hearts because these are all people that we whether you know we were the people that knew them we've watched them we you know for for those out there who don't know these people personally you still have seen them you've grown up watching them um and it's just phenomenal so i everybody has to click off right now go to hulu <laughs> yeah so like, i was so proud of you honestly i i was blown away well you're, I, you're I, a great director thank you and 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 to the point of how personal you get 
I think you get as personal as you have to. And I can't wait for you guys to see my latest doc and, and docs coming up. And, and, and really, I think that's one of the things that I've been most drawn to is when you can be your most raw self and be your most honest self. And, um, and, and I think that, that if you feel it and you feel connected to it and you love it, then other people feel that. And so I think you have to get as, as real and honest with yourself as, as you can. And so um, it's been a lot of truth seeking. I think, you know, I'm wrapping my latest doc. And I think after this experience, I'm like, okay, now it's time to sell some <laughs> or do a comedy or something. Oh, I mean, I listen, I love being <laughs> raw and truthful. Uh, yeah, this, this one has been quite the experience, which, well, I, I'll tell you about next time. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, we can't wait. Oh yeah. You guys, I think you'll really, yeah, it's right up your Right up this whole, I love it, alley here. Soleil, we love you so much. This has been I amazing. Love you guys so much. We Thank you for taking so much time with us. You so much. You guys, you have uh, just filled my heart with so much love, and I'm so grateful. I love you, Soleil. Love you guys. We love you. Thank you so much. Bye. I mean, such an incredible journey she's had, right? an amazing story and i know we we gave it we we mostly talked about kid 90 and there's a reason um you know so much of what why we started this podcast is is really encapsulated in that documentary it's our memories it's our it's our growth it's our youth it's the ups the downs the highs the lows and it's um and she she created an amazing film she's so talented and obviously is is just flying she's she's off and running and making more so um that was an incredible interview yeah she deserves all the opportunities because uh yeah she she uh that, everyone should watch Kid 90 on Hulu. I don't know. It's, it was really blew me away. And the highs are very high and the lows are very low and you laugh and you cry. And um, But yeah, I mean, going, you know, it's interesting that she was a, a child who didn't speak until she was three and was hiding behind her mom and then steps out as the biggest star in the world as six years old. Shocking. But just, just a beautiful energy. And, you know, I, I feel like every single person we've talked to on Sabrina and every, you know, from Melissa to Elisa to you to to Soleil, like what how incredible for all of you to to have experienced that together. And it you feel it. I mean, it's visceral when you all talk about that experience as it being a very unique and special one. Um, and none of you take it for granted. Um, and that's just cool to hear. I think when it's when there's a beloved show like that. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe it was because Paula and Melissa, you know, mother and daughter were producer and star of the show. So it became yeah. this family thing. But, you know, it went on for years. I, I, I was there for three years. It's not like doing a movie for two or three months. No, no. Yeah. So, you know, you really get to you, you become a family. And when any of these people call me, I will show up. If Melissa's in town, you drop everything. We go to dinner and um, and that's how we do it. So great. Um, all right. Well, that's it for today. <laughs> Until yes, next thank week. you for listening. We so appreciate it. I hope you enjoy this one and have a great week. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and give us five stars. And please follow us on Instagram at Hey Dude, the 90s called. See you next time. 
Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.